something wicked this way comes. Anarchy is being loosed upon the nation. Authored by John Whitehead via the Rutherford Institute. Quote, Every day I ask myself the same question. How can this be happening in America? How can people like these be in charge of our country? If I didn't see it with my own eyes, I'd think I was having a hallucination. And quote, that's Philip, Philip Roth, novelist. Things are falling apart. How much longer can we sustain the fiction that we live in a constitutional republic? I cannot say, but anarchy is being loosed upon the nation. We are witnessing the unraveling of the American dream, one injustice at a time. I have a podcast called The American Dream is Dead. Welcome to the Nightmare. Check it out. Day after day, the government's crimes against the citizenry grow more egregious. I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Egregious. Whatever. More treacherous and more tragic. And day after day, the American people wake up a little more to the grim realization that they have become captives in a prison of their own making. No longer a free people, we are now pushed and prodded and watched over by the twitchy, hypersensitive, easily spooked, armed guards who care little for the rights, humanity, or well-being of those in their care. The death toll is mounting, the carnage is heartbreaking, the public's faith in the government to do its job, which is to protect our freedoms, is deteriorating. Okay, so here I'm going to deflect a little bit. This is a little dramatic, but he's a good writer. Um... The death toll is mounting. Uh, uh, the carnage is heartbreaking. That's kind of this is all like very poetic. The public's faith in the government to do its job. Is that really the government's job to protect our freedoms? Is was that ever the government's jobs to protect our freedoms? So he's saying that it it was it is their job. Our faith that it was their job. That's what they told us their job was. Not even yeah, I mean protect our freedoms, protect our health, protect our rights, right? Right? This is what they have told us. Um, so now our faith is deteriorating. But this is obviously not what the government established itself for. It wasn't to protect us in any way, shape, or form. Really to exploit us. But this is a, this is a good article in the sense that this is all kind of lines up with the, the theme of what's going on here. It doesn't take a weatherman to realize when a storm is brewing. He's a little, he's a little, how would you say, um, I'm not going to say fruity. Um, you know, sometimes women write like that. They just, you know, they, they get a little too fancy with their writing. Um, <laughs> it doesn't take a weatherman to realize when a storm is brewing. Clouds gather, the wind begins to blow, and an almost palpable tension builds. It's the same way with freedom. The warning signs are everywhere. Quote, things fall apart, wrote W.B. Yeats in his dark, forbidding, forbidding poem, The Second Coming. See, this, this guy is very poetic in the way he writes. The center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. Surely some revelation is at hand. The upcoming election and its aftermath will undoubtedly keep the citizenry divided and at each other's throats. 
so busy fighting each other that they never managed to present a unified front against the tyranny in any form. Yet the winner has already been decided. As American satirist H.L. Mencken predicted almost a century ago, quote, all the odds are that are on the man who, intrinsically, the most devious and mediocre, the man who can most adeptly disperse the notion that his mind is a virtual vacuum, the presidency tends year by year to go such, to such men. As democracy is perfected, the office of president represents more and more closely the inner soul of the people. On some great and glorious day, the plain folks of the land will reach their heart's desire at last and the White House will be adorned by a downright moron. In other words, nothing will change. You cannot have a Republican form of government, nor a Democratic one for that matter, when the government views itself as superior to the citizenry, when it no longer operates for the benefit of the people, as though it ever did, when the people are no longer able to peacefully reform their government, as though they ever really could, when the government officials cease to act like public servants, when elected officials no longer represent the will of the people, when the government routinely violates the rights of the people and perpetuates more violence against the citizenry than the criminal class, when government spending is unaccountable and unaccounted for, when the judiciary act as courts of order rather than justice, and when the government is no longer bound by the laws of the Constitution. For too long, the American people have obeyed the government's dictates no matter how unjust. We have paid its taxes, penalties, and fines no matter how outrageous. We have tolerated its indignities, insults, and abuses no matter how egregious. I don't know how to pronounce that word. He likes using it, too. We have turned a blind eye to its indiscretions and incompetence, no matter how imprudent. We have held our silence in the face of its lawlessness, licentiousness, and corruption, no matter how illicit. We have suffered. Oh, how we have suffered. <laughs> oh, how much longer we will continue to suffer at the hands of a tyrannical police state depends on how much we're willing to give up for the sake of freedom. It may well be that Professor Morris Berman is correct. Perhaps we are entering into the dark ages that signify the final phase of the American empire. It seems to me, writes Berman, that the people do get the government they deserve, and even beyond that, the government who they are, so to speak. In that regard, we might consider as an extreme version of this, that Hitler was as much an expression of the German people at that point in time as he was a departure from them. For the moment, the American people seem content to sit back and watch the reality TV programming that passes for politics today. It's the modern-day equivalent of bread and circuses, a carefully calibrated exercise in how to manipulate, polarize, propagandize, and control a population. Well, think about it. They're talking about American people. Uh, it's like a reality TV. Our, our presidency, our election is like reality TV. Well, <laughs> we do have a reality TV star as a candidate, so it's not really that far off, right? That, that that's what we that's how we live this is how we are in this country um this is how they taught us really as french philosopher 
Etienne de la Bobatai observed half a million millennium ago, plays, farces, spectacles, gladiators, strange beasts, metals, pictures, and other such opiates. These were for ancient peoples the bait towards slavery, the price of their liberty, the instruments of tyranny. Let's read that again. Plays, farces, spectacles, gladiators, strange beasts, metals, pictures, and other such opiates. These were for the ancient peoples, the bait towards slavery, the price of their liberty, the instruments of tyranny. By these practices and enticements, the ancient dictators so successfully lulled their subjects under the yoke that the stupefied peoples, fascinated by the pastimes and vain pleasures, flashed before their eyes, learned subservience as naively but not so Creditably, as little children learn to read by looking at bright picture books. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> bread and circuses, man. And this, this is it's 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 pervasive all throughout American society. Um, I just kind of when I opened my tablet, uh, Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series, and uh, honestly, I didn't even know. I, I mean, I knew baseball was back into play. I know some sports are back into play. Um, mixed martial arts is back into play. Uh, that's really the only thing I follow. But, uh, yeah, and it's it's weird, and, but the bread and circuses continue. We're in the middle of a lockdown, but the bread and circuses con- continue, so you know, they, they need something to keep the people pacified to some degree. And uh, as I'm reading this article, he says, this stuff is the bait towards slavery, the price of liberty, the instruments of tyranny. Yes, that sounds about right. We the people have learned only too well how to be slaves. And I've said this plenty of times. I've, I've said this, this, is, this has been my, my theme song. Uh, this is the first time I'm reading this gentleman's article. This is on Zero Hedge, John Whitehead via the Rutherford Institute. I don't yeah, I can't say I've really read his stuff before. Um, but, again, it's something that I recognize. He says that we have learned only too well how to be slaves, and it's it's 100% truth. Worse, we have come to enjoy our voluntary servitude. I can't say I enjoy servitude. I don't like what's going on right now, and I, I didn't really like what was going on beforehand, but I, I, I learned how to navigate. You have to navigate. Because if this is what a majority of society is doing, the only the only thing you can do, even if you don't agree with it, is just try to find a way to adapt or to be ahead of it. And uh, so he says, we have come to enjoy our voluntary servitude, which masquerades as citizenship. The pre- this presidential election is yet another pacifier to lull us into complacency and blind us to the monsters in our midst. I refuse to be pacified, patronized, or placated. So, John Rutherford, John Rutherford, right? That's his name? No, I'm sorry. John Whitehead via the Rutherford Institute. John Whitehead. So John Whitehead says that he refuses to be pacified, patronized, or placated. Here's my plan. Rather than staying glued to my TV set, watching politicians and talking heads regurgitate the same sound bites over and over, I'm going to do to keep doing the hard work that needs to be done to keep freedom alive in this country. That's why almost 40 years ago I founded the Rutherford Institute. 
as a nonpartisan, apolitical organization committed to the principles enshrined in the Constitution and Bill of Rights that would work tirelessly to reshape the government from the bottom up into one that respects freedom, recognizes our work as human beings, resists corruption, and abides by the rule of law. It's a thankless, never-ending job, but someone's got to do it, and I can promise you that when I eventually do turn on the TV, John Car Carpenter, not Donald Trump or Joe Biden, will be my pick for escapist entertainment. Now, now he goes on to John Carpenter's films, and I'm familiar with John Carpenter Car Carpenter's films. Um, this is a little bit longer of a read. Uh, so, from this point on, he goes over... Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of John, John Carpenter's films. And um, this is very interesting. The majority of these I'm, I'm familiar with. Uh, I can't remember. A lot of them were in the 80s. But it would be interesting to, to watch some of these movies that I haven't seen because there's such commentary. And, and that's old school movies. You know, some old school movies are like really good because they have this commentary and they have this depth in them. Uh, not so much like visually that seems to be what contemporary movies really entrance people with i hate watching movies in general but most of it's garbage but when you have you know someone who cre can create a movie such as is this it tells a story but it also you know it can predict the future and here we are living this it's it's pretty amazing stuff so this is classic so we're gonna go into john carpenter and, and he's probably best well known for halloween uh Honestly, I didn't realize that these other movies were, you know, because again, I'm not that much into John Carp Carpenter, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting. So we're going to go over that right now. Um, so the Rutherford Institute, I'm just going to click on the Rutherford Institute really quickly, because our job is to make the government play by the rules of the Constitution. I mean, good luck. So they have the page, is it an org? Yeah, it's rutherford.org. I've never really been on this page before. Donate, sign up, become a member. Uh, Freedom Watch. Judge approved $650 million settlement off for Facebook. Biometric case. TikTok collected persistent IDs from Android phones. Uh, so it's Freedom Watch. On the front lines, Virginia Supreme Court allows police to use license plate readers as masks surveillance tool to track drivers this is in virginia uh i have a podcast about that uh what is it called the atlas i think you could look it up yourself uh you can look it up yourself electronic frontier foundation and it's like the atlas of something you could actually look up in your local uh vicinity what types of surveillance tools are being used to track people down and uh, license plate readers are one option, they got fucking drones, they got a whole, whole bunch of crap, and it's, it's in one of my previous podcasts, I think, is, uh, data isn't used to score you, it basically talks about that, you can, there's a website where you can check it out and find out, like, how you're being surveilled, alright, so this is on the Rutherford Institute website, uh, do, 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 what else, weekly commentary, College police label sharing Christian faith as disorderly conduct. Walk student from distributing religious literature in this free speech zone. 
This little stupid shit. Like, you know, you send you send your kid to school, you figure, you know, they get an education and I have to argue about dumb shit like this, but this is how they distract the future students of America. They're not learning anything. They're just learning how to be political and at each other's throats. Not really how to just uh, critically think or change the world. All right, so let's go back to the article. He's going to go over John Carpenter. Carpenter's films, known primarily for their horror themes, are infused with strong anti-authoritarian overarching themes that speak to the filmmakers' concerns about the unraveling of our society, particularly our government. Even among a pantheon of dystopian films such as Minority Report, 1984, The Matrix, V for Vendetta, Land of the Blind, Carpenter's work stands out for its clarity of vision. Yeah, except for, like, The Matrix. I haven't seen any of... Maybe I saw Minority Report? I haven't seen V for Vendetta. Like, a lot of these... A lot of these movies and storylines can overlap. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's wrong for me to say that, but I feel like I've seen The Matrix. I was like, I've seen enough. <laughs> it could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, Carpenter sees the government working against its own citizens. I didn't have to see these movies to know this. That's the funny shit. It's like, oh, you know, this is a commentary. But, like, honestly, like, I didn't have to watch these movies to know this. It's just, it was just, it's just plainly obvious to me at this point, you know. Yet, while Carpenter is a skeptic and a critic, there's also a strange optimism that runs through his films. A close view of Carpenter's work reveals a romantic streak beneath the skepticism. John Muir writes in his insightful book, The Films of John Carpenter, quote, a belief down deep, far below the anti-establishment hatred that a single committed and idealistic person can make a difference, even if a society does not recognize that person as valuable or good. In fact, Carpenter's central characters are always out of step with their times. Underneath their machismo, they still believe in the ideals of liberty and equal opportunity. Their beliefs place them in constant opposition with the law and the establishment, but they are nonetheless freedom fighters. When, for example, John Nada destroys the alien hypnotransmitter in They Live, he restores hope by delivering America a wake-up call for freedom. That I have not seen, and I need to see that, because that's Roddy Roddy Piper, and he was, like, my favorite wrestler. That That's, like, pure Americana right there, like, old-school, like, 80s wrestling when it was all innocent, and Hulk Hogan... And Andre the Giant, like, the early, early wrestling. This stuff today is so completely disgusting and raunchy. But when I was a kid, like, wrestling was, like, pure. It was just campy and very... I felt like it was innocent. And uh, Roddy Roddy Piper was, like, one of those dudes. That I, he was in that movie. I don't know if he was a good actor in that movie. But a lot of people, that's that's a that's a, a thing that people use as a commentary. Like, wow, so ahead of its time. Like, what's going on? And, like, you know, the subliminal messaging and... and it's 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 great commentary and i and i was not aware that it was john carpenter i did see which one did i see the thing yeah that's a messed up movie i didn't even realize that was political commentary i just thought that was just a fucked up movie but now that i'm reading this i could see deeper um so john nada who's roddy roddy piper he destroys the alien hypnotransmitter and they live and he restores hope by delivering America a wake-up call for freedom. This is the theme that runs throughout Carpenter's films, the belief in American ideals and in people. He believes that man can do better, writes Muir, and 
His heroes consistently prove that worthy goals, such as saving the Earth from malevolent shapeshifters, can be accomplished, but only through individuality. Thus, John Carpenter is more than a filmmaker. He is a cultural analyst and keen observer of the unraveling of the American psyche. I'm disgusted by what we've come become in America, said Carpenter. <laughs> Did he say that recently? That's amazing, because I just said that myself. But it's true. Um, quote, I truly believe there is brain death in this country. Everything we see is designed to sell us something. The only thing they want to do is take our money. I wonder what they didn't say when this quote. Um, yeah, they didn't say that. Okay, so the following are my favorite Carpenter films. Assault on Precinct 13. This was in 1976. This is essentially a remake, remake of Howard Hanks' 1959 classic western Rio Bravo, much beloved by Carpenter. A street gang and assorted criminals surround and assault a police station. This <laughs> paranoia abounds as the police are attacked from all sides and can see no way out. Indeed, Carpenter repeatedly had, has his characters comment in disbelief that this can't happen, not today. We're in the middle of a city in a police station. Someone will drive by eventually, or will they? Halloween, 1978. This low-budget horror masterpiece launched Carpenter's career. Acclaimed as the most successful independent motion picture of all time, the story centers on a deranged youth who returns to his hometown to conduct a murderous rampage after 15 years in the asylum. This film, which assumes that the, there is a form of evil so dark that it can't be killed, deconstructs our technological existence while examining, oh, excuse me, while reminding us that in the end, we all may have to experience Orwell's stamping boot on our faces forever. The Fog. 1980. This is a disturbing ghost story made in the mood of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, 1963. I remember saying that. That's a fucked up movie. <laughs> I can't remember too much, but that was just a fucked up movie. Here, the menace besieging a small town is not a pack of winged pests, but rather a deadly fog bank that cloaks vengeful, faceless, evil spirits from which there may be no escape. Escape from New York, 1981. This one I want to see. So I need to see They Live and Escape from New York, but I need to see Escape from New York first. I already saw Halloween. I don't want to see Assault on Precinct 13. I don't think I want to see The Fog. So I'm going to start with 1981, Escape from New York. Um, this is the ultimate urban nightmare. A ruined Manhattan of the future is an anarchic prison for America's worst criminals. When the U.S. president is captured as a hostage, the government sends a disgraced, rebellious war hero into Manhattan in what seems to be an impossible rescue mission. In fact, the film sees fascism as the future of America. And a lot of people say that with Trump being in power, that is fascism. I don't even know what the fuck fascism means. Like, really, I have no clue. But people throw that world around like, yeah, you're a fascist. Like, oh, okay, whatever. I don't know. What does that mean? The Thing, 1982. Considered by many as one of Carpenter's best films, this is a remake of the 1951 sci-fi classic of the same name. 
A team of scientists in a remote Antarctic... I saw this one. This is a fucked up movie, too. Antarctic outpost discover a buried spaceship with a ravenous, mutating alien that eventually creates a claustrophobic, paranoid environment within their compound. The social commentary is obvious, as the horrible creature literally erupts and bursts out of human flesh. I think it came out of the dog first. That's why I didn't like that movie. Like, the dog was infected first, and then it, like, blew up, and it was, like, really gross. I was like, I can't handle this. Why'd they gotta kill the dog? This film presupposes what increasingly we are all becoming... Oh, presupposes that increasingly we are all becoming dehumanized. Thus, in the end, we are all potential aliens. Christine. I think I remember this one. 1983. This film adaptation of Stephen King's novel finds a young man with a classic automobile that is demonically possessed. But it was not only possessed, I think it was like in love with him or some shit like that. The car representing technology with a will and consciousness of its own goes on a murderous rampage. This, no, I don't think I I saw this whole movie. (laughs) Do we now face the same possibility with the predominance of artificial intelligence. I think I would like to see this movie just to bug out, like, the whole... Because I remember, like, back in the day when I was growing up, like, everything was, like, Knight Rider. Knight Rider. I think it was probably around the same time, so Christine's, like, the, the, the evil alter version of Kit. Knight Rider had his cool, you know, this little talking car. It was all smooth. And, um... Christine's like the evil, <laughs> the scorned woman version, I guess. Um, Starman, I never saw Starman. 1984, an alien from an advanced civilization takes on the guise of a young widow's recently deceased husband. The couple then takes off on a long drive to rendezvous with, rendezvous with the alien spacecraft so he can return home. Surprisingly, as John Vero recognizes, this film is a Christ allegory with the alien visitor possessing extraordinary powers to heal the sick, resurrect the dead, and perform miracles. The question posed is whether the only hope for humanity is a visitor from another world. At this point, I would have to agree. Yeah, because we're fucked. As a species, we're just a hot... We're just a hot mess. They Live, 1988. This film which I explore in detail in my books, assumes that the future has already arrived. John Nada, that's Roddy Roddy Piper, is a homeless person who stumbles across a resistance movement and finds a pair of sunglasses that enables him to see the real world around him. What he discovers is a monochrome reality in a world controlled by ominous beings who bombard the citizens with subliminal messages such as obey and conform. Crazy stuff, man. Carpenter makes an effective political point about the underclass, except every... Everyone except those in power, that is. We, the prisoners of our devices, are too busy sucking up the entertainment trivia beamed into our brains and attacking each other to start an effective resistance movement. I'm going to read that again. Carpenter makes an effective political point about the underclass. We, the prisoners of our devices, are too busy sucking up the entertainment trivia beamed into our brains and attacking each other. To start an effective resistance movement. As the bearded man in They Live tells us, the poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. They have created a repressive society and we are their unwitting accomplices. 
They are dismantling the sleeping middle class. More and more people are becoming poor. We are their cattle. We are being bred for slavery. That's a quote from They Live, 1988 film. Last one. In the Mouth of, in the mouth of Madness, 1995. This one I definitely didn't see. A successful horror novelist's fans become so engrossed in his stories that they slip into dementia and carry out the grisly acts depicted in his books. Um, that's the, the, the story of this particular movie. When this film was being conceived, politicians were criticizing horror movies for promoting violence. Carpenter parodied this argument while noting that evil grows when people lose, quote, the ability to know the difference between reality and fantasy. That is 100% true. When people are being a complete, completely pumped full of fantasy lies with this whole coronavirus madness, you know, and this is where the evil is growing. This is where the tyranny is growing. People are just fucking, they're willing to sacrifice their adolescent kids for fucking experimental vaccines all for a fucking virus that 99% of people survive. Like, that's fucking evil. Um, yeah, they don't know the difference between reality and fantasy because they're so fucking plugged in. They're, you know, they, they can't. They, they just... The weavers and the novelists are, are the government factions that are basically fucking telling people how to think and what to fear. Oh, and, and, and play on words. And the mainstream media, these, these motherfuckers are the number one enemy. The number one enemy. Carpenter parodied this argument while noting that evil grows when people, quote, lose the ability to know the difference between reality and fantasy. As we lose ourselves in ever-evolving technology, which spews lies mostly, we are increasingly blurring that distinction. Does that mean evil will eventually overcome us all? I don't think, quote, all are weak. I think many are weak, and a lot of people... <sighs> embrace evil because they think it's trendy or they don't they don't even know i mean how do you not know it's evil but they're just so numb they're just so numb to the world that they don't even fucking they don't even know what good is it's pathetic let the plague come let the plague come madness delusion denial paranoia and humanity these are some of the monsters of our age in the cinematic world of john carpenter whenever freedom falls to tyranny it is because the people allowed it to happen. It works that way in the real world, too. The lesson, as I make clear in my book, Battlefield America, The War on the American People, they, the tyrants, the boogeymen, the strongmen, the enemies of freedom, live because we, the people, sleep. Time to wake up, America, and break free of your chains. Something wicked this way comes.